0: Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast, supported this month by Spillers. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. How's everybody doing? I hope that you're managing to get some riding in or at least time with your horses despite the dark evenings and that it's actually starting to feel like spring isn't too far away. Our interview on this episode is with leading show horse producer Kirsteen Douglas. She talks about making it in showing despite being based in Scotland, her top horses over the years, and how she got started in the sport.
1: Nothing's handed on a plate, you have to work very, very hard. You know, nowadays, the young ones coming through, they just don't realise what it's like.
0: We'll then hear from five-star rider Imogen Murray and Spiller's senior nutritionist Yvonne Judith, who chat about how to help your horse gain weight safely this winter, if he's looking a little poor
2: safe weight gain does take time and we can't be seen to see those changes overnight so it's really important that we monitor our horse's weight. More from on later. For now pull down your
0: stirrups, hop on board and let's get started.
3: Hello and welcome to Horse and Hound's guest interview. I'm Alex Robinson, showing editor here at Horse and Hound. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you're all looking ahead to the 2023 season. It's a very exciting time. Even if you're not feeling that motivated yet, I hope that this uh, conversation might give you some inspiration because we're very lucky to be joined by Scottish showing producer, Kirstine Douglas. Kirstine is a leading show horse producer and she's based in Dumfrieshire in Scotland. She's been producing horses and ponies for around 30 years and over that time she's won accolades at all the major shows, including championships at Horse of the Year Show and the Royal International and she's also a British Horse Society accredited trainer and a popular judge who's been seen across the world judging show horse classes. So how are you How How's winter going for you? I'm very good, thank you. Uh,
1: Winter's been difficult uh, through November and December with all the rain, the hard frost.
3: Yeah, of course.
1: Uh, just uh, grounded us a little bit, but the horses have all come through it well uh, and we're looking forward to this season.
3: Brilliant. And you're in um, Dumfrieshire, is that right? That's
1: right, yes.
3: So I can imagine the frost was extra hard up there.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, because we're not actually that far from Carlisle. A lot a lot of people think we're far further north, um, but because we lie in the valley, uh, we don't get a lot of snow. We would get more mm. rain and the so it just makes life a little bit difficult. But we all manage to work through it and
3: keep going. That's it. And when do you usually start your show season? Is it? Do you, do you have a, a particular show you usually aim for? Uh, depending on the
1: horses and what open horses and where we're heading for, um, we usually try to go mid-April. Mm-hmm. But. BSPS Scotland, they run a Royal International Qualifier in March. Mm. If we think that we've got something ready, we try and support it. And then the younger horses, uh, you know, depending where they are, we look for nice judges for them and nice shows to take them out to
3: super well i'm sure it'll be coming around very soon um so kirsten if you don't mind i hope you can take us back now Um how did you actually get into into horses and into showing are you from a horsey family
1: i, I am from an equestrian family my grandfather was a Clydesdale man right and so horses were in the blood and basically i was days old when i was sat on my first <laughs> pony and it all went from there <laughs> uh, As A child, obviously, we did pony club and we did shows. You know, you did everything. You did show jumping, eventing, showing. But showing was always my love. Uh, And so then, you know, we concentrated on that. Probably not travelling as far south as what we do now. uh, But uh, at the age of 15, I went to Robert Oliver for a a fortnight. wow. And then the plan was for me to go for a year, Mm. uh, which I did. And ended up being six years at Roberts. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> and ending up his head girl. So I had a fantastic grounding, and you know. But before before I went to Roberts, I helped out at uh, the Dunlops, here they're based in Annan. And the three boys, Andrew, James, and William, they used to have show jumping horses. So I had a fabulous grounding. Mm.
3: Fabulous. And what, what was it like um, going down to, to Robert's Yard at 15? I mean, I can imagine he taught you so much. What were, what was it kind of like working there with some of those stunning horses?
1: Oh, do you know, I would never change it. It was we had a fabulous time and I think, you know, we had some of the top horses in the country. Mm. Yeah. Uh, to probably to be honest, I actually was competing at the Gre- Great Yorkshire Show and I went for the first two weeks that I went to Robert's. Mm. I went from the Great Yorkshire. So it was quite daunting for a 15-year-old girl to go in (laughs) the lorry with Robert and Nigel and having not met them before. But, you know, all was good. And, yeah, it was like just home from home, to be honest. Don't get me wrong, he was a hard man to work for. Mm
0: -hmm. And I
1: think, you know, nowadays, the young ones coming through, they just don't realise what it's like. Mm. And I think that's a pity, really, because there is so much to learn, and if they stick in it, there is a fabulous life to have, but it's a very hard life to do, you know?
3: Mm -hmm. And when did you know you wanted to be a professional producer, Kirsteen? Was that something you knew from being a 15-year-old girl, or yeah, when did you make that choice?
1: Yes, I think, well, I was always going to be a farrier, and then, you know, I was just, I really want to do the showing. Uh, So my dad had said, well, you can go for a year, and that's it. (laughs) <laughs> but you're not making a living out of it. <laughs> but I I got my way in the end. So yeah.
3: And do you remember your first big big wins in the in the ring um as a producer? Do you have um, you know, one of those early memories which, you know, you maybe thought, Oh, I could actually do this as a career now.
1: Do you know? I've had so many fabulous horses. Mm. Uh and some probably should have had that crown at Horse of the Year show, district court for one. You know, I think in the seven years that he went to Horse the Year, he was, I think, third four times. And there was just a couple of times that you thought that was his day to day. But he was such a fabulous horse. And, and we still have him today. He's retired here. But yeah, we've had some... I've been very lucky with, you know, all the owners that have trusted me with, with their horses.
3: Mm-hmm. Would you say District Court was one of your one of your favourites? He was a hunter, to those yeah. who aren't he, familiar. He, but was is he one of your one of your favourites you've had, or is there a few others you could maybe recall?
1: Yeah, he he was my first hunter as such, but we had Fairbreeze, the riding horse, although he was done before I started as a professional. But I would say yes, district court was the first one that really put me on the map in the hunters. Another really good favourite of ours is um Anna Kumar Huntsman. Huntsman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he he was a super horse, man of honour, lovely lightweight that I had. And of course couldn't forget Barney Of
3: course. <laughs> the lovely calve. <cob. laughs> yeah.
1: So you know, and I've been very, very lucky, I think.
3: And do you remember the first time you won at either Holly's or Royal International Kirstening? Because obviously that's kind of the the pinnacle, isn't it? Everyone works so hard to get there and that's kind of the dream. Do you remember the first time you won at either of those big shows?
1: Uh, The first win at Royal International that we had was Fabian, who started his career off as a small hack. And Stella Harris said to me, you need to do some Hunter Ponies with him so we did and Haley Hankey piloted him for me and he won at the Royal International although I you know I didn't ride him he was based with me Haley rode him at the shows and uh, we had a a great season unfortunately though he got measured out before going to horse the year show <laughs> so, yeah I think he won too much
3: <laughs> and then yeah the first time you won at Hoy's as well because that's um the October show for people who might not be aware but yeah again the pinnacle of showing.
1: That was with um, Sidesurf Lord of the Dance.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, he had been first equal as a five-year-old with his first season and then I think he was second another year and then he won yeah and that was that was lovely because Mrs McCallum she'd been a long-standing client of ours she was um she doesn't have any ponies now but she was with me for over 20 years
3: mm-hmm. super and um being based in scotland Kirstine, i can imagine it does come with um obviously some challenges i mean it's obviously a beautiful place but yeah how do you find you know being based in scotland do you find it does have um drawbacks or um yeah i guess how and i guess how do you plan your season um being based in scotland
1: i'm fortunate that we're Half an hour from Carlisle. So, from the yard to Carlisle, it's main road all the way. Right. So, a lot of people, they have to come off the motorway and maybe do an hour, you know, on the back roads and things like that. Mm. But we're very, very fortunate that it's all main roads. Don't get me wrong, if I had my choice, I would probably be further down south. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I try to stick to the same shows that we do. And so, Addington would be the furthest away, Yeah, five, five and a half hours. And now I think the, the shows are all more in that circle. Cheshire and a lot are in Arena UK, which is four and a half hours for me. But I quite like to go anyway the night before and stable. And I think for young horses, it's more beneficial for them. You know, yep. they, they travel, they go in a stable. We take them out, we work them, you know, and they have that bit of a rest.
3: Mm-hmm. And how, how would you plan to um, head down to a show such as The Royal International because I mean that's just far down south at Hickstead, do you tend to go a few days early and get everyone acclimatised to the to the showground? I guess you'll have done it so many times now. Usually we go on the Monday and I think everybody
1: tends to go a bit earlier yeah. uh, because of the parking too um, and, and we're usually there all week so I would travel through the night on the Monday night and I can usually do it in eight hours. So it, it's okay. The people in Essex and Sussex, they're lucky, aren't they?
3: Yeah, definitely. And do you have a favourite show you always aim for? You know, one that you always go to every single year? I know everyone does have a, does have a preferable venue. Which is yours?
1: Oh, I have to say, I do love The Royal Highland.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I, it, although
1: everybody thinks it's my local show. But it is two and a a quarter hours north from us. Uh, Another lovely show is The Great Yorkshire. Fabulous show. The rings are amazing to ride in. Mm -hmm. And another show that we've only just started going to in the past two seasons is the Tattersalls Championships at Entry for the retraining of racehorses. And I've been very lucky there. In 2021, Richman Poorman went Reserve Supreme, and this year here he was Supreme. And and I think, you know, for an ex-racehorse, he's an unbelievable horse, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. to be doing the racehorse classes and the middleweight hunters, he's just something else.
3: Fabulous. Um, And just looking ahead to 2023, Kirsten, do you have any exciting new horses on the team or, you know, returning faces that you could just mention?
1: Yeah, we have some lovely young horses. Uh, We have a novice lightweight cob and we have a novice hunter and I've just purchased a three-year-old to make a small hunter and I've got a new racehorse, retrained racehorse who will he did actually do one show and then we we laid him back a little bit just to give him some time.
3: Mm-hmm. So plenty, plenty of new stars we need to be looking out for. Um yes. where are you? T- where are you tending to find your new your new faces, Kirsteen? Or um, do, do you have any secrets you could reveal on you know where you find these wonderful horses? <laughs>
1: I'm very fortunate. I've got some very good friends in Ireland, judge there, quite a lot, so. I have people looking out for me, mm-hmm. but I like to go across two or three times a year and just have a look about, you know, hopefully find something. I also do some clinics across there, so that's always a you know, sometimes something interesting comes comes along. Uh, that's another thing I've been very fortunate. You know, I've judged in Australia twice, wow. for the Grand Nationals, uh, the Horse of the Year Show in New Zealand, the Horse of the Year Show in South, Af- South Africa wow so i know and i did a horse a year show across across here a few years Mm -hmm. back i did riding horses so i've seen a little bit of the world
3: (laughs) yeah definitely fabulous um and just so perhaps and a few people might be listening to this and you know we're in the new year now and people want to be making the most of these last couple of months before the the season gears up do you have any tips for people who might be you know lacking a bit of motivation and um you know want to i guess just garner a bit of pace now the new year's um coming round, because these big shows will soon be upon us.
1: Well, that's right. Well, I always think, you know, we've had Christmas. I always boost myself by thinking, we're getting a minute a day lighter.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so
1: we have more time. <laughs> and uh, I don't panic too much about the coats. Uh, this year we did it differently. We've Sometimes I would have them all clipped out. This year we bib clipped them. And we're just now starting to take the coats off them and keeping them on, you know, going around the roads. We like to, the horses that have been laid off and had their holidays, do six weeks on the roads. And I'm quite old fashioned that way. Yeah. You know, we always used to do the road work before you went into the school. And, and then, and keep your work varied, you know, especially with young horses. Take them to indoor schools. You know, if you've got a neighbour that you
3: can take them to their place, Mm -hmm. do that. Super. And which show will you be at first um, this season, Kirstine? Where can we look out for your team?
1: Well, actually, I've not done this before, but I'm hoping... There's a lady that runs some little shows in Penrith. Right, think. And so I'm just hoping to take them there through maybe end of January, February time, just take the babies Mm -hmm. just to let them see about. And then we'll probably heard if BSPS hold their qualifier, then we would love to support that.
3: Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kirsteen. Um Yeah, and we can't wait to see your uh, new faces and open horses out on the circuit. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alex.
0: Thank you to Kirsteen and to Alex for joining us. Now we're going to listen to some advice from the sponsor of this episode, Spillers. Yvonne Judith, a Spillers Senior Nutritionist, is joined by five-star event rider Imogen Murray, who has finished in the top eight at both Badminton and Burley. Over to you, Yvonne.
2: Hi, Yvonne here, and I am joined by Imogen today. Hi, Imogen, how are you? Hi, I'm right, thank you, how are you? So today we're going to talk about how to help your horse gain weight safely this winter. Um, So the best ways to put condition on a horse. It's important to make sure any underlying clinical conditions or dental problems can be ruled out, especially if weight loss is sudden or there have been no obvious changes in the diet. Um, Speak to a vet and or nutritionist if you have any concerns. Um, So back to the question, what are the best ways to put condition on a horse? Um, It's really important to remember that gaining weight is a slow process. So we want to see gradual increases in the horse's weight, especially if the horse has lost a lot of weight. So safe weight gain does take time and we can't be seen to see those changes overnight, which then leads me quite nicely into regular monitoring. It's really important um, that we monitor our horse's weight. So a weigh tape can be really useful, and we would suggest to use a weigh tape um, on a weekly basis. And then also body condition scoring is a really helpful tool. um, And we would suggest to body condition score your horse on a fortnightly basis. And then, of course, forage always comes first and should be the foundation of any diet. And I know, Imogen, you will agree with me here. I know your horses have always got a big hay net in front of them, which is brilliant.
4: Exactly. Like, I 100% agree with that. Like, forage, for me, like, it can't be underrated, whether you're looking for horses to gain weight and condition or just in general. I think, you know, a lot of people don't take that into consideration enough
2: probably yeah i would agree and um yeah, that that you know that could is such an easy, simple change to make is actually just looking at the horse's forage intake. And that's what we where we would start. So feeding ad lib forage is a is a great starting point. And ad lib means giving the horse as much forage as they will eat. Um and again, I think monitoring your horse's forage intake is really important because we might be giving them ad lib, but if they're not eating that amount of forage because you know there might be box walking for example and um, it's really important to to monitor that voluntary intake and again we would probably suggest to do that over a 24 hour period um, for three to five days so then we've actually got an idea okay brilliant this is how much forage they're eating so that's really helpful um, and then also it's really important that we feed small meals so no more than two kg per meal and that's less um, for ponies and also it's super important not to make any rapid changes and we want to support the horse's digestive health where possible so again here like Imogen said fibre is key so choosing fibre-based feeds is is brilliant and the way forward definitely
4: yeah no I I think that's a a really good thing to touch on as well just thinking with the fibre intake and I think especially obviously more in, in my area um, of expertise working a lot more with competition horses in particular that are probably in um, a lot of a higher level of work. It's about actually understanding that through the winter with the weather being colder and, and everything else that they are probably going to need more calories to maintain condition, not only definitely, um, just to put condition on. And I think again... It's not necessarily about feeding, you know, competition horses a high energy feed so that they maintain condition. I think a lot of the time, you know, you can have big benefits of, of feeding fiber-based feeds um, to achieve that. And, and especially, again, looking at competition horses in the winter and, and behavioral issues that you might encounter with them yes. having perhaps less turnout and, and things like that. You know, the, everyone laughs at the idea of trying to get on your horse after he's had to have, you know, a week or two weeks off because of the weather's been frozen or or something like that and you're going to get booked off you know it's trying to feed according to that as well
2: definitely 100% agree with you here and especially like you said you know we're now in January so we've got a few more months ahead of us where um there is poor grazing and the horses are stabled more so we then have to make up for that and make sure that we are giving them plenty of roughage so that they've always got fibre going through them. So yes, totally agree with you there. So the best feeds um, to put weight on a horse, again, would really um, depend on the individual. So for example, if we have a horse with dental issues, um, mashes are a great way um, to put weight onto a horse. Or for example, if we have a really fussy eater, um, we might want to just consider feeds that are really dense in calories so that we we can feed smaller volumes so i think it's not a sort of um one rule fits all it's really looking them at them as an individual and and what works for that horse would you agree there Imogen?
4: yeah no i would agree i think mean, you know it's it's sort of like trying to take in consideration like that, that individual horse you know i think as horse owners it's Sort of on our, our responsibility to sort of know your horse, know, you know, what kind of feeds do they like? You know, my old friend, um, the horse that did five-star, he was really, really fussy eater. And he wasn't, he's not, like well he said, isn't a big lover of sort of like chaff-based feeds. But actually we yeah. found out that he really, really loves to eat mashes. So he, Brilliant. we tend to feed him a lot more mash sort of type feeds when we want him to put condition on. Um whereas another horse I've got, he's he's not fussy at all, he just struggles to, to keep his weight on. So then we'll be feeding him a lot more, you know, i will be a, a chaff based conditioning feed so that he's getting this fibre as well and he can probably just and he's eating it slower. Yeah. Which I think is really important for him as well, is that a, you know, he get a feed and he'd walk the feed down and then he's not a big hater, so he just wouldn't eat he just doesn't eat anything else. Yeah. Um so again, he has, you know, all of his conditioning the sort of a conditioning fiber feed rather than say like a conditioning mix or a conditioning cube, I think, which a lot of people would automatically go to because obviously, you know, it has the word condition in it and nothing yeah. you, know, you sort of think, oh, yeah, I'll feed my horse that. But it's taken into consideration, you know, whether that's the right thing for your horse or whether you want to look like to a more fiber-based feed that can still put the weight on. But you could probably feed a little bit more of it and, you know, it would probably be better management in the way they eat it as well.
2: Yeah, I agree. Especially, you know, in the winter months, if, you know, temperament wise, if we've got an excitable horse, then fibre based feeds are the way forward. So, you know, choosing um, high calorie chaffs is a great way to get more calories into the horse's diet. And of course, oil is starch free. um, So that will help to keep the horses level headed. So, yeah. I totally agree with you it's a it's a good way um, of getting more calories into the diet and also with the fussy um, fussy eaters I think it can really help to add a bit of warm water um, or especially with older horses if they have sensitive teeth so again like you said mashers are a great way because we can obviously add some warm water to them and Using flavourings or herbs can also be really helpful. Um, Of course, if you are competing, you need to consider the NOPS risk. Uh, NOPS standing for natural occurring prohibited substances. So that's really important. And we would only recommend using products that are beta NOPS approved. And as a final tip, if your horse is prone to any clinical conditions, such as laminitis or gastric ulcers, we would suggest you seek help from a vet or nutritionist. So what other management solutions should owners consider? I think it's really important that um, horse owners make sure their horse is rugged appropriately in the winter months. Um, Of course, we don't want our horses to get too cold as this will waste valuable energy to keep the horses warm. Um, But at the same time, we also don't want them to get too hot. That can then lead to poor appetite. And Also, older horses, they can have difficulty regulating their body temperature. So they can sometimes get too hot or too cold. So often um, they might need their rugs changing more regularly than a younger horse. Um, So that's really important to consider. I'm sure, Imogen, you would agree here. um,
4: I think as well, again, going back to the same thing I sort of mentioned earlier, is that owners being aware of what is right for their horse I think especially you know there's a lot going around like social media and and everything else about whether horses should be wearing rugs and what temperatures and and everything else and I think it's it's doing what's right for your horse like I know like my horses they're fully clipped they're in for work they probably wear more rugs than most horses um do but I know that that's necessary for them to maintain their condition because that's what they're used to they wear a rug all year round um, unless it's really, really hot. So for them to only have sort of like a, a 300 gram New Zealand on, they would be shivering in the field. You know, they're not yeah. they're not used to that sort of thing. So I think it's, a, like I said, it's rugging appropriately for your horse and not just putting the same rug on that, you know, your friend who's got the horse in the table next door has on because they might not have the same kind of horse or their horse might feel the temperature slightly differently. And I think, it's definitely one that we think if we've got a horse that starts to lose weight or lose condition, one of the first things we will do is, is put an extra rug on um, and just see if that helps rather than necessarily you know, having a panic. If the temperature's dropped and they start to look a little bit like they've lost a bit of weight, we'll go, okay, maybe just put an extra rug on that one and see how they go for a little bit rather than panicking and sort of throwing feed into them, like which, as we discussed earlier, might have behavioral implications as well. Um, it's definitely an important thing
2: yeah definitely I would agree with you and also an appropriate worming program or you know monitoring of of worms so again really important to seek advice from your vet here um on that subject and yeah paying attention to your horse as an individual you know are they maybe box walking is it an older horse and really working out what is normal for your horse I think as well you know like with I know, and for a lot of people, especially in,
4: in the winter, particularly, you're looking at probably a change in turnout. Um, there's, yeah. and there'd be a change in obviously quality of grass and what nutrition they're getting from the grass. And actually, some horses are probably going to need extra forage in the field, and some horses are not. Like I know, for instance, like my horses, they'll try. We try and turn them out for their mental health, but they'll be getting haylage in the field to eat like you know from now on all the time so they're actually are they're still having that ad lib forage yeah because there's not that quality in the grass even if there is grass in the field
2: yeah so again it's just considering the changes in routine the changes to grazing and how that impacts your horse's um, forage intake so yeah I agree with you here so, what are the additional requirements a horse might need if grazing is particularly limited, and how can those be addressed? So, for most horses, actually, hay or haylage is the best way for replacing a shortfall in grazing, and short chopped fibres can be a great way to topping up the horse's fibre intake. Um, I know Imogen, you feed a lot of chopped fibres to to your horses.
4: Yeah, I'd say sort of like nearly ninety percent of what I feed it comes down to sort of chop fibres or fibre-based feeds. And I think really looking, and again, like bear in mind we're talking sort of about we're, we're also 90% competition horses um, up to levels. Like, you know, we've got two five-star horses on the yard and three or four four-star horses. You know, they are eating 90% fibre-based feeds all year round. And um, even when they're competing, I think, again, it's like one of those myths a little bit with feeding this yeah. um, go horse is a competition horse. I need to feed it more starch or a, a mixed based feed, like a competition mix or a conditioning mix. And I think, you know, especially in the winter when they're, especially if they're not big hay or hay eaters, you know, yeah. I think just being mindful that they are, it's healthier for them. You know, and there's the big news going around and I think a lot of people are more aware of, of gastric ulcers and treating ulcers, but Again, that's, you know, they said 90% of competition horses will have some form of allsons during their lifetime. And I think if we can do everything we can and, you know, focus more on on fiber-based feeds and, and actually being really conscious of the fact that, yeah. particularly in the winter, you know, they have got limited forage, especially, you know, most yards will have limited grazing during the winter. And I think it's being conscious of that fact in how we feed them whether we're trying to gain condition or just in general
2: so actually that's really back to basics isn't it because horses have evolved to um, digest fiber so you know upping the fiber intake where we can is brilliant and so if a horse is looking really poor how can owners add weight quickly yet safely again safe weight gain takes time especially if they've lost a lot of weight you're not going to build that horse up overnight and so it's really important again to seek professional advice from your vet or nutritionist especially if there have been no obvious changes to your horse's diet so that's what we would suggest
4: you know that's probably a time when it's really important to be consulting your professionals in that sort of department you know a nutritionist or a vet's going to have much More of an idea on how to safely, you know, horses that are really poor, you have to be careful with how you feed them and how you add weight so that you're not causing them other issues. And I think that's when it's really important to actually consult the professionals that are understanding of that and actually can give you advice on what the best thing to do and the best way to, to get them to gain weight is.
2: Brilliant. So if horses have poor appetites or poor teeth, would advice differ? Again, firstly, it's important to check that there are no underlying clinical conditions that might be causing the poor appetite. So do seek help from your vet or dental technician if you believe that it might be linked to poor dental health. Um, And then I think it's understanding the triggers for your horse and what Work So some horses, for example, like to eat in company, some don't. Um, Has anything changed in your routine? Um, Some horses that are naturally more anxious or prone to being stressy or more alert to changes in their environment can therefore um, be affected by this a lot more and then have poor appetite or for example horses that are in really heavy work so I don't know Imogen have you found this with your horses once you've really stepped up the workload that their appetites um, seem a bit affected by this? Yeah no it's definitely something we've noticed
4: um, sort of like when yeah, they have a sudden change in exercise or if they're gearing up for like a big competition and they're doing a lot of galloping things like that they their appetite can change and I think some of it as well is a little bit stressed, you know, sort of like they know something's coming up or like, you know, it's like we said, sort a of change. And I think they do sort of slightly not, you know, stress is, is a cause of or slightly of that sort of having a change in appetite or a poor appetite. Yeah. And I think for me, like we wouldn't necessarily change anything, but we probably, we tend to go with a little bit of a, a trial and error sort of system and just sort of trying different things. So if, if they normally have haylage and they've gone off the haylage, we might try hay um we might offer them um we've definitely used a few times in the past with horses that are not particularly big forage eaters, like giving them a bucket of, of mash because that they can pick at throughout yeah. the day. Um yeah. because you know it's it's a fibre replacement realistically in that sort of scenario. But again, it's sort of like giving them something that maybe they will eat that you wouldn't necessarily normally have to give them um to help. And I think It's again, for me, it's just, it's just about knowing like what your horse is like. I mean, I know again, my old boy was really fussy. The whole time he was competing, we used to have to give him one hay net and one haylage net. And sometimes he'd eat one and not the other. And it was never the same one. Um, And we just kind of learned with him that rather than trying to guess what he was going to eat that day, we just gave him the choice of both. and he would pick and choose. Um, And I know again, that we've had horses where you're putting different, not mixing feeds, um, so they got different types of feeds. They say they've got like an also fiber, or and maybe a mix and a, and a mash. they're actually putting them all in different buckets for them. Yeah. Um, so they can choose what they want to eat on that day, or whether they want to eat it all or not. And then it's, you know it's a bit of a faff, but
2: yeah, I guess and that's again comes back to just knowing the triggers for your horse and what works for them as an individual, and just sort of adjusting things. That will, you know, help and get them to eat, especially if you're away at shows.
4: Yeah, yeah, it can be a nightmare, i saying. That. And like I say, I do you think it is very much, you know, trial and error for those, you know, people that maybe would listen to that and think, well, I don't know. I think it's being brave enough to just try different things, try different methods, and actually seeing what works. And then you've got that. Yeah. Then the next time they may go off their food or whatever. You know what worked last time, you can try that. And again. Like we've said a few times with, with this, it's it's speaking to a nutritionist, you know, they are invaluable with advice in that situation of yeah. even offering you different ways of feeding your same feed. It doesn't necessarily have to be a change in the feed. It might just be a different way of feeding it like a different time or, you know, leaving them on, on their own. You know, we've got horses on a big, big yard that just prefer it to be quiet when they eat. So, you know, we'll then make sure they get fed and then there's nobody on the yard for half an hour. So they get to f- eat their seed in peace and and like silly things like that i think yeah
2: definitely um and sort of coming back to um horses that might have um poor dental health or senior horses they may need a full or partial hay replacer of course so um again short chopped um fibers can be really really useful if the horse can still manage short chopped fibers otherwise we would then um rely on um, mashes to fibre intake um, into the senior horse or, you know, soaked cubes are are great. Um, however, I think what is really important to remember, for example, sugar beet is really high in calories and a great source of fibre, but actually um, a soaked scoop of sugar beet is predominantly water. So um, a soaked scoop of sugar beet would be four to five times lower in calories than, let's say, a full scoop of um, horse and pony cubes due to the water content. So Yes, definitely. Obviously, mashes and uh, hay replacers are, are brilliant and vital, but it's just really important to remember that because I know a lot of horse owners like to add sugar beet to their bucket. So that's another little tip. And just to add to that, I think it's really important to make sure that you weigh the feed before you soak it. So again, that you are monitoring your horse's intake. That's really important because often we can overestimate how much we are actually feeding because obviously the volume increases so much once we've soaked the product. So how should owners monitor the horse's weight and condition? And when do we actually know when to stop building condition? So we would suggest to aim for a healthy condition score of five out of nine. So generally five is um, considered ideal. So poor doers that are not laminitic coming into winter, it can actually be beneficial for them to be at a body condition score of six, for example, in the autumn, because that will then act as a little bit of a buffer throughout the winter. Um, especially if we know they're prone to losing weight. I'm not sure if you do this, Imogen, um, throughout the summer, if you've got a couple that you know, okay, they're quite prone to losing weight. So we try to really make use of the um, sort of spring and summer grazing. Yeah, so what we tend to do in in that situation is uh,
4: most of the event horses will have a holiday sort of at the end of the season where it's still sort of autumn, we're not quite into winter. Um, and we tend to try and use that opportunity with the, like you say, with the poor doers to try and actually get a bit of weight on them. Is there on purely fiber based feeds, which most of mine are, we wouldn't necessarily drop their feed down because they're not doing the work, which then allows them to put more weight on. So that, like you yeah. say, they're going into winter, you know, a little bit probably are fatter than what you would maybe like. So that then when they lose, inevitably lose that weight, they're just going to lose anyway, that they then dropping down to a condition score of five or or maybe at worst sort of like a 4.5 which is probably totally okay for the winter but then it allows you to get to the spring where they can then put that weight back on rather than starting the winter at a five and then you're sort of starting to panic by the time you get to January February time that they're they're getting really poor and you can't get the weight on them yeah um most of mine will run a, a condition score of five even even the blood ones they might average out at that so um for some of the the more blood horses, they, their neck would probably not condition score of five, but then they're sort of like their belly and their bum will. Uh, or maybe be slightly more than that. So it's sort of like we're looking at the overall horse rather than sort of saying, oh, their neck's, you know, always probably going to look slimmer or, or just smaller generally than say like, you know, the warm blood horses that are a little bit more crusty naturally. Um, but I think overall, yes, they still would run um, with a condition score of five to be perfect for them um we just might not worry so much in the summer if they drop down to a 4.5 when they're about to go to a big event um with them being the more blood types
2: yeah and also if a horse is a poor doer and prone to weight loss um and looking poor in january where we know we've got more poor months of grazing ahead then of course it can be a problem. But actually, on the other hand, for good doers coming out of the winter at a leaner body condition score of 4.5, for example, it can be really beneficial going into spring and summer where we know we've got lush grazing ahead, because what we don't want to see is, or what we want to try and avoid is um, incremental weight gain year on year for those good doers, where we do not allow them to lose any weight in the winter. They then gain more weight in the summer and then we we're in that cycle where they just gain more weight year on year. So that's what we want to avoid. So coming back to the question, how true is it? And um, the idea that you want horses coming out for the winter lacking condition, it actually depends on the individual.
4: A hundred percent agree with that. But again, anybody looking at the, some like the more competition based um, horses is that they're looking at the summer, spring, summertime being probably their busiest period. Um, so a hundred percent, like for me, my good doers, I like to use the winter so that they come out in the spring, looking nice and trim, ready to go. Um, but definitely for the not such a good doers, we're actually wanting them to probably be at their fattest, um, sort of like January time. So that then once the work increases and they, they would then start to drop weight, we don't want them to be starting the event season already. Having slightly less weight and more condition than well-conditioned is ideal because chances are, as they get busy and they're doing more yeah. work and they're competing more, they're gonna they are gonna drop a bit of condition. So, for us, like you know, we would definitely want them to come out of winter probably actually looking a bit rounder than yes. Yeah, then you've got something to work to with, deal.
2: haven't you, throughout the season, definitely. Yeah. So the best non-heating options of managing temperament um, is a consideration while also building condition would be fibre-based feeds that are low in starch and sugar and also high in oil. Um, and they actually come in different formats. So we um, see a lot of cubes that are low in sugar and starch but high in oil and fibre and also mashes or of course your fibre-based um, chopped feeds um, really useful because obviously oil is starch free so that's what we want to look for. And I think another thing to consider is often there's quite a confusion around energy and calories and um, because you won't see the word calories in the product's nutrient table. So you will need to look for digestible energy and calories is simply the measurement of energy. So I think a lot of horse owners can be quite nervous around choosing high energy feeds as such. However, what is really important is actually the source of energy. So so that's what horse owners need to consider. Um, cereal starch is the most common cause of feed related excitability, hence why we would suggest high fiber based feeds and high oil feeds to put, to put weight on.
4: Probably just stick along the same sort of lines, really, to me, like looking at non heating. Um, especially I specialize in feeding non heating, otherwise, I would definitely be coming out of the winter with a lot more injuries. Um, yeah. is that Again, like for me, I'm looking at more fibre-based energy. Yeah, like you said, you know, conditioned and chopped um fibre sort of feeds and mashes more than yeah, sort of like cereal-based traditional.
2: Feeds. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's thinking outside the box, isn't it? For example, with the ulcer fibre, you know, you might not consider that as a horse owner but actually you know it's super low in sugar and starch and really high in fiber and oil so that might actually be a great product for you so yeah I think it's it's looking at the nutrient table and thinking outside the box sometimes as well.
4: Yeah no 100% and and to be fair on for me like we use a lot of the the ulcer fiber that's our main what I would say our main conditioning feed for mine on the yard and exactly for exactly those reasons like like you yeah. say it doesn't necessarily say it's a conditioning feed on the bag but actually when you look at what's in it and and what it does it, it yeah it does all of those things as well which I think is really important and again just going back to, to what we've said a few times is that if you're looking for these things and you're not sure where to go you know your best thing is is to find the nutritionist speak to the nutritionist because they're going to know what feeds do what and what's in them as well like a lot more and it's actually probably saves you a lot of time and effort than trying to scroll through and looking at what's on the bags it's actually just speaking to somebody that knows the feed and they can tell you actually you probably want to be looking at this feed even
2: though it doesn't say condition on the bag it's going to help yes. you put that weight on brilliant so I hope that's been really helpful for you guys and Imogen thank you so much for chatting to me today
4: no no thank you very much it's been it's been nice and interesting for me as well so thank you Thank
0: you, Yvonne and Imogen, for that super insight. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Horse and Ham podcast, supported this month by Spillers. We'll be back on the last Thursday of February, the 23rd, when we'll be talking to Dressage World Champion and London International World Cup Qualifier winner Lottie Fry. I really can't wait to hear from Lottie on the podcast. Talk to you then. The Horse and Ham podcast is a Media Cage production.